These are stories of women, mothers, and enterprises filled with grit, gumption, and overcoming. Where in the midst of adversity, we see her rise up. She makes a choice. She chooses to emerge. I'm your host, Becca Erickson. Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the To Emerge podcast. You are in for a treat because my new California mama friend, Parijat Deshpande, is on with us. She's in the Bay Area of California, and she's she has a son. She's a mama and a little girl on the way. And then, you guys, author, speaker, blogger, and high-risk pregnancy advocate. So she has so many things to talk to us about on the To Emerge podcast today. So Parijat, Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Likewise. Likewise. So are you a podcaster too? I'm trying to remember. I am. I okay. am. Yes. Tell me about your podcast. I've got a show called Delivering Miracles, and we talk about the real raw side of family building. That includes infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, healing after all that is over. I mean, just the, the side of creating a family that we just don't talk enough about. No kidding. I totally agree. And so is a lot of that platform uh, birthed out of your own experiences and story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it, it's inspired a lot of the work that I do. But on the podcast itself, I share some of my story, I share a lot of other people's stories, get a lot yeah. of experts on, things like that. Ditto. Uh, I, that's the whole beauty of podcasting is it's right? a little bit of your own story, but it's it's building this whole community of camaraderie about life and birth and motherhood and womanhood. Yes. <laughs> good. good. It's so good to have you on. So I did read up about your book too. Will you tell me about your book? Absolutely. Uh, I wrote a book this year. It's called Pregnancy Brain, A Mind-Body Approach to Stress Management During a High-Risk Pregnancy. And it is, it's the book that I wished I'd had. Uh, mm. So it is a compilation of my journey through a very high-risk pregnancy, client stories of mine to give the reader a sense of hope of how much is possible, all backed by over 70 years of science on the impact of stress management during a high-risk pregnancy yeah. and how yeah. managing that stress can actually prevent complications from arising and manage existing complications to help you prolong pregnancy even if it's for a few days, a few weeks, or ideally a few months to help you make it to as close to term as you possibly can. But as far as you, there's just so much science, so much research behind it. And I just really wanted to empower women to know how much is possible in their bodies when it feels like everything is falling apart around them. Mm -hmm. No kidding. I mean, if pregnancy isn't hard enough, um, when everything's going smoothly, you think about right. preeclampsia and cortisol levels and like, sh you know, shooting cortisol to our baby. Yeah. Um, and then preterm labor and uh, sacks of water breaking. So what kind of happened um, with your son? I had a very high risk pregnancy. So he was an IVF baby. Oh, so we'd okay. already done the whole infertility thing. We'd uh, already experienced one loss prior to him. And then I had developed eight complications during my pregnancy. So I went on bed rest about week six and oh, I was on bed rest gosh. the entire time. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, extremely challenging <laughs> for somebody who likes to be busy, especially. Um, that was very challenging for sure. Mm. And uh, 22 weeks and four days, I landed in the hospital, three centimeters dilated. And my doctors had given up hope. They thought we weren't going to make it through the weekend. And that was oh, going to be it. And it was too early to save him. 
but mm. with the combination of medical intervention and my efforts to keep my stress down. And by stress, I don't mean things that were going on in my head. I learned very quickly through this experience. It's really what's happening in my body that matters more than what's happening in my head. Mm. And pregnancy is a very unique experience and a unique time where stress presents very differently. And it presents in a, in a way that needs tools and, a, and support differently than other yeah. times of life. And so with that, between the combination of the two, uh, we were able to extend the pregnancy another 15 days, which nobody on my medical team thought was possible. Mm. So my son was born at 24 weeks and five days. And after that became our very lengthy NICU journey while he, us not knowing if he was going to come home, but going to be there with him every single day, hoping and hoping, hoping, hoping that that one day he would come home. And then he did the day after his due date, he was released back home to us and we right. home and went, what do we do with you now? <laughs> exactly. So did he make it to one and a half, two pounds? He was, he was not one and a half. He was one pound, five ounces. Okay. Okay. Oh, gosh. So yep. tiny in his little isolate. Mm. Very tiny. Yeah. Isn't it amazing though, you think, first of all, a woman's body can grow a human. Of right. course, there's going to be complications and stress on the body and it's going to be telling us signals amazing miracle, probably why you talk about delivering miracles. And then inside of an isolate, a baby can still keep growing and getting bigger as if you take him out of the hospital at 40 weeks in one day. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Oh, wow. Crazy. So he is now how old? He is five now. Okay, so in the last five years, you've done a lot of advocacy and speaking up and learning more about mind-body and listening to bodies and educating women. Yeah, I have. So my my background is in clinical psychology, and I was always interested in women's health. Ah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <Nice>. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Um, and it was really through this experience I realized how much of my training does not apply in this particular situation. And I think it's true for really a lot of health crises. Uh, acute as well as chronic health issues, traditional clinical psychology approaches don't apply. And so it was really through this personal experience where I realized how important it is to take a somatic approach, how important it is Mm. to take this body-centered approach because, and it's like I tell my clients all the time, it doesn't matter what's happening in your head. It it matters what's happening in your body. If your head is completely fine and you feel hopeful and you feel happy, but you're having contractions, we still have a problem. (laughs) So, so, you know, the, the approach is very different and, and it comes from, and that's this whole personal experience really inspired getting, delving back into the research and going, Hey, if I was able to extend my pregnancy for 15 days, obviously I wish I'd, he had stayed in longer than that, but mm-hmm. 15 days was impossible at that point. Yeah. And so if I could do that. There's nothing special about me. So mm. what's happening that allowed for that to be possible. And if I could do it, why are we not teaching other women to do that too? Because even if we get 12 hours, even if we get five hours, the experience that the mom has of knowing, hey, I really did squeeze every drop out of that sponge. And this was my body saying, this is as far as we can go. Well, and every ounce that's added to baby, it's like, yes. Absolutely. Every, absolutely. Every hour at that point makes a tremendous difference. Yeah. So in those 15 days, like, what did you do? My goal was to keep my body as relaxed as possible. 
I use different uh, visualizations to kind of imagine my body floating or sinking through the bed or um, just doing whatever I could to keep my body relaxed. And a big part of that, I was on magnesium for the, for 10 of those 15 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just the love hate relationship with that drug. I mean, it was fantastic in helping me and it makes you feel like a truck is driving for <laughs> your head back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> forever. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I had friends come. I had my best friend in the room. My mom, my dad were there. My husband was there. And they were all just kind of taking turns massaging my body. My nurses were fantastic. They'd come in, massage my legs. And it was whatever we could do to keep my body relaxed. Because when my body was relaxed, my mind got quiet. Mm-hmm. And that's really the premise of the work that I do is instead of going from let's fix the thoughts and make you more positive because let's be honest when you have your water broken at 23 plus two and you're in the hospital and your doctor's saying you're not gonna make it um there's not a lot of positive thoughts happening right but right but you can do a lot for your body um and from there the thoughts follow Hmm. that was a really big piece of it which is interesting because you know in psychology you and I were both trained about this top down or bottom up you know we studied both Um, but then what about the tension of holistic mind body spirit people like everyone should have the same weight you know and how do we like yeah great thank you for cognition thank you for a mind over my brain however my body is saying things Yeah. yeah fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And I I go into the research of this in pregnancy brain, but what happens in pregnancy that's so different than any other time of life, including the postpartum period, is that there are actual shifts in our body physically, physiologically, that make us more anxious. Even the most Zen person in the world will experience more anxiety. And there's an evolutionary reason for that. And so trying to address anxiety as if it's a problem in pregnancy never worked. It will not work. It won't work because your baseline is completely different than when you're not pregnant. Yeah. That's why it's called mama bear. (laughs) It is. Absolutely. And if you read the book, you'll see, I talk about that all the time. There's references to bears (laughs) throughout the book. Seriously. Like... Every one of us is so protective. So, of course, our arousal level and our anxieties go higher because we're now in charge of another human. And so it's it's evolutionary makes sense to Mm. be risk averse. It Mm. absolutely makes sense. And to push that and say, hey, no, go try and do all these things that you're trying to do before. Use the tools you were using before. They're not going to work because you're in a completely different situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. At six weeks, somehow you, A, knew you were pregnant and yes. B, they they knew an intervention soon enough, like you're on bed rest. Like that's yes. so rare. How, how did they know? Well, so he's an IVF baby. So we were tracking everything. Sure. Um, so you so knew before I- most women even know they're pregnant. Exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. So the testing all happens much sooner. But I had a complication from IVF called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is a rare but really serious side effect of IVF, which is where um, fluid from inside your blood, you know how blood has, there's the liquid piece and then there's the plasma. When you have take a blood test, it splits, right? So the fluid part of the blood actually seeps out of your capillaries and into your pelvic area. So before I even had taken my pregnancy test, I looked like I was seven, eight months pregnant, oh. but 
I didn't I'm know so if I was sorry. pregnant. Oh. <laughs> and it was over Mother's Day and it was my first Mother's Day after our loss. I'm like, really, really life, really? This is just mean. <laughs> wow. And um, it was when I had my very first paracentesis, which is a procedure where they take this ginormous needle that goes in places it should never go and they drain your pelvic cavity of that fluid. Mm. I was like, oh, I can breathe again because there was there was pressure off of my lungs now. I could actually take a deep breath. And I was recovering from that procedure when my doctor peeked his head in and told me that um, that I was pregnant. Oh my. And so I found out extremely early because this OHSS is what it's called, tends to have a second peak if you do get pregnant. And that's what was happening in my body. So it was really serious. I couldn't really walk. I couldn't stand up straight. And then in the middle of that, I had been hospitalized for it because I'd become so severely dehydrated. They were concerned about some blood levels. And just as I was being discharged from the hospital, I started bleeding and I developed what's mm. called a subchorionic hemorrhage. That was a second complication that landed me. My, my uh, doctor said, you should probably just chill out, put your feet up, don't really right. go to work, and let's right. just see if we can ride this out. Um, both of those complications tend to resolve themselves at the end of the first trimester. The OHSS did because it's responsive to pregnancy hormones, so that automatically yeah. will go away. <laughs> But my subchorionic hemorrhage did not. And mm. that was the second of eight that I ended up developing. Sure. So did you have like placenta previa and just lots of um, normal, well heard of complications or just lots of obscure ones? I had a lot of obscure ones. <laughs> hmm. um, most well known of them was PPROM. So I, my water broke at 23 weeks, plus, 23 weeks and two days. Um, I had a dynamic cervix, which they don't know very much about. I had Mm. irritable uterus. I went into preterm labor at 18 weeks. Mm. There were just so many little things that just kept adding up. And then I also developed gestational diabetes due to the steroid shots that they needed to develop my son's lungs. And Mm. I hadn't moved in 10 days. And so, of course, my sugar levels were going to be off and the stress (laughs) was there. So, of course, that was going to happen. No kidding. (laughs) So did they attribute any of these complications to your first baby, the baby that you guys lost? No, that, that we lost uh, the first one due to a ruptured ectopic. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Yeah. You have had so much adversity in bringing new life. I know. Wow. We really have. Do you kind of look at each other and say, let's just stop? Or are you like, no, we're here to be parents and to pass on things to the next generation. And so we're not going to stop we're just going to do things in a less risky way or how how do you even look at each other and make that kind of a decision (laughs) i know i know it's so interesting so had we conceived him naturally i don't think we would have gone on to have another but because he was an ivf baby we had nine embryos in the freezer and we both had always really wanted a big family yeah and but still after that whole pregnancy and then after months in the nicu it took a long time because once he came home, yes, he was home, but you know, pre discharge from the hospital doesn't cure prematurity. Prematurity effects last a long, long time. Yes. yes. So, you know, there was a lot of care that was involved in, mm. in helping our, our son just kind of grow and thrive at home now. Yeah. Right. And you're a postpartum mom. You, and that. You've been postpartum this whole time and now you're postpartum with him at home with you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
So it took a long time to even have that conversation. We both were just like, nope, we're not even going to touch that right now. Let's just get our heads above water first. No kidding. No (laughs) kidding. So now five years out, you're like, we can explore the idea of another child. No, it actually was uh, sooner than that. So um, okay. I wanted, I, I really wanted answers. Like what the heck just happened? Mm. What, what was this? This is, there are no books out there that talk about something like this. There's nobody tell, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. So we had very lengthy conversations with my two high risk OBs that were involved with my pregnancy. Um, then I went to get a second opinion from two fertility specialists, one of whom presented my case at a case conference. I got a couple of other set, um, opinions from doctors who had nothing to do with my care, who weren't even on this side of the country, because hmm. I wanted a fresh pair of eyes. Can I do this again? Is this smart? Mm-hmm. All while having the answer already in my head, in my body. I knew it. I knew it actually before we'd even done this IVF cycle. We, my mm. husband and I actually even had a conversation about this where I told him, I don't think my body's made for this. Yeah. But we never tried IVF. It seemed a little too early to, mm. to close that door. Now we have the evidence <laughs> that yeah. this is how it was. And unanimously, I think it was a total of maybe 15 doctors or so came back and said, yeah, we really wouldn't recommend you do this again. Right. So You're like, and he, my body is recommending that too. Thank my you. Bo- exactly. <laughs> so we're all on the same page here. <laughs> so it was probably when he was about two and a half when we started looking into surrogacy because we okay. had the embryos and we really wanted to have more children. We thought this would be a much safer way of bringing life into our family Mm -hmm. and into this world. We also knew that the process was a lengthy one. So we started a little bit sooner than we were ready to, knowing that it would be a while. Right. And when he was about three, we were matched with our first surrogate, who um, technically is called a gestational carrier. She had a failed cycle once. She miscarried once. She left for personal reasons, so we had to wait to be rematched again. So we lost like six, seven months in that. Wow. A little bit longer. So wait, is there like a social worker that matches? You don't get to pick? Yeah. So we work with an agency. I think every agency does it a little bit differently. But what they do is they profile the gestational carriers and they profile the intended parents is what we're called. Mm. And with detailed questions and interviews so they really get to know who we are. Sure. And then from there, there's actually in our particular agency, there's one person whose sole responsibility is to make the matches. Hmm. And then Hmm. in this agency, they have the gestational carriers choose the intended parents first. And then if they're interested, then we get to see her profile. And if it feels like a good match, then we have a phone call and kind of see. It's kind of like online dating. Well, and it's kind of like adoption. It is. It's very similar. Yeah. There's so many adoptive mom friends of mine that it's like they're in the hopper forever or they get to, they get to sort of pick or be matched or they don't, or the mom gets to see the kid or they don't. It's like, wow, there's so many cards playing into this whole game. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we were told ahead of time. We spoke with several friends of ours and friends of friends who had done this and they said, it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And these are, these are all the little steps that you don't really think about until you have that conversation go, okay, we've got to be chosen. We have to choose her. We have to get sure. along. This ha- The doctor has to clear her, even though she's done her medical exam and all of that. So hmm. and, it took a long time. Does she have her own children? Is yes. she just a gestational carrier? Is she? Okay. No, it's yeah. it, for, especially for agencies, it's required that she has to have at least one full-term child after yeah. a non-complicated low-risk pregnancy. Okay. 
Yeah. And some women just like, I don't know, love being pregnant. So they'd sign up for this. Yeah, I know. That was for my husband. and I were like, who? So who does this? All right. Because you and I are like, um, pregnancy. Why would anyone elect to not end up with their own baby? Right, right, right. And they every step of the way, people in our agency, friends who had done this, they were telling us that there's something about them that just they want to see the joy on your Mm. face of holding your baby that right. they were able to give you. They're just the world's benevolent people. That They're they just... angels on earth, fully. Yeah. I call her our guardian angel, really. I, I just don't know. know what other word there is. <laughs> right. She's She has your human. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so did they know if your embryo was going to be a male or female? Do you know, like, what are you guys having? We chose not to find out until we knew that the pregnancy took because between starting the surrogacy process and her being pregnant with our daughter right now, um, we lost four Mm. and it was just Mm. like, it was just, that that would be a whole other podcast. It was really awful. The whole experience was really devastating. That's a lot of grieving. Yeah. It is a lot of grieving. Yeah, Mm. it really is. So she, this, uh, this little girl is our very last embryo. And she my was, hair is standing up. Right. Wow. I, I was calling it the most planned out surprise pregnancy because by that point we just had, I had lost complete hope. Right. We, we couldn't find any reason why she kept losing the babies. Just, mm. There was everything tested normal. Everybody tested normal. We had nothing to explain it. Mm. And so I was going into this and we knew for, for a fact that this was going to be the last one. My body just couldn't handle another retrieval. And we just, sure. emotionally, we were just done. We just wanted this chapter to be closed and to move mm. on. Mm-hmm. And so when I got the call and said, she's pregnant, I was like, what? Can you check our file again? Yeah. yeah we're, <laughs> I, did you even get excited or were you like, nope, I'm going to guard myself. Sorry. I, I was in shock. Okay. I just didn't believe her. And mm. so it was our um, cycle coordinator at our clinic that called. And I literally asked her two to three times, can you check the file again? Can you check the name again? Are you sure? Sorry, you Jeff, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you're uh... making me scared. I don't, <laughs> I thought I checked it, but hold on, let me check again. <laughs> oh my word. You're giving them all a complex at that medical center. <laughs> They're like, oh, you guys, she's got us on speed dial. Parjot's calling again. Don't answer right. it. <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I know. It really was. And then I knew that I had decided before all of this had happened, when we first started surrogacy, the whole surrogacy journey, that I wanted to celebrate every moment of it because we didn't get mm-hmm. to celebrate anything with my son. Everything was just medical. Everything was, you were oh, in thank bed. God we made another hour. You know, we just, we didn't have any celebrations with that. So this time I was like, I'm terrified. I don't believe it's going to last, but hey, it's going to suck anyway. So we're just going to have a fun night tonight. And so I got a chance to reveal it to my husband, which I didn't get to do last time. That was something that's mm-hmm. just really important to me to have just mm-hmm. that moment with just the two of us especially with infertility and then with what we had with the high-risk pregnancy and then the NICU, there was just like hundreds of people involved with bringing this home, which we're very grateful for. But Nothing sacred though. There's nothing like that. Exactly. So I really, really wanted a moment like that. So So did you say like, hey, buddy, you got her pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) No, I, we had a, um, he, I didn't tell him all day. It was killing me. He was at work. 
It was mm. killing me not to say anything. He's like, come on, just tell me, have you heard anything? I'm like, oh no, the clinic's late and calling. <laughs> Which had kind of happened before. So it was kind of easy okay. to pass okay. that by. But sure. at some point in the day, he was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I asked him to come home early just because I couldn't keep it a secret anymore. And I had a little thing set up on the table and he walked in and he saw it. And Cute. it was, yeah, it was really precious. And I, I just, I just knew even if she lost this one too, at least we'd have this moment and this right. memory. Yeah. Yeah. This opportunity I know see. there is something so sacred about, you know, like here we are, we created this. This should be our secret first. Yeah. yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So how far along is your gestational carrier? We are at th- almost 33 weeks. <gasps> see, totally viable. Totally, totally viable. See, I know. I've surpassed the 24 weeker. Yes, I know. Right. He, so my son was born at 24 plus five and at 24 plus six, in this pregnancy, I just bawled my eyes out all day. No kidding. We just, we made it to that side. One more day, one more day. And then we hit the third trimester. And now we're half, we're just like, it's just going. And girls' lungs are more developed. So it's kind of like, she won't even need the steroids. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's wonderful. so beautifully. And she's growing and they both are feeling great. And we're feeling great. Everybody's safe and healthy and happy and yeah. So different than last time. Right. Well, and just so different from, you know, the normal mechanism of, mm-hmm. you know, a man and a woman. Like, there's all these options. You've experienced IVF. Now you have the surrogacy story. And people make families in all kinds of ways. Yeah. My husband jokes all the time, like, I'm done. I was done like three kids ago, <laughs> and which would put me down to zero. But we just have our three and he wanted six. And so he's always like, let's have a surrogate. Let's have a surrogate. And like, obviously he's joking. I'm joking because I'm, I'm, I'm max. But it's like, no, that that's like a real viable yeah. way for some families. Like, yeah, it's that's, the only way for us to have had a biological child. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it was not safe for your body. No. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So now most of your platform in life, you kind of mix with your psychology and your advocacy and your gifted speaking to just say, I think there's so much meaning and purpose that's going to come out of this. And so this is what I'm going to talk about. This is what I'm going to be an advocate for. Yeah. It's, it's a funny story because when I was younger, I had always wanted to be an OBGYN and I would interview my best friend's dad constantly for all reports in any way I could swing it. I could spin the topic to be Mm. about obstetrics. I would do it. And, uh, and then I, I took chemistry in college and that did not work out so well and landed on the clinical psychology path, but somehow life brought me back and said, Hey, look, this is where you're meant to be. And that's how feels collided. Yes. I love that. I love that. Like different parts of our stories somehow all come together and they, they redeem this story that it's, it's so messy. It's just so messy, but it sort of gives us like this long range view of like, oh, that's what my life is for. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I was talking to somebody recently about that, of how us as children, we tend to have such a really deep and profound understanding of our purpose on this earth. But because we're so young, we can't really verbalize that. But it's in through these dreams like this that it comes out. And if we mm. just stick with it and trust that. And it's not just some silly childhood vision. It really is telling us something. 
we can mm-hmm. get on that path much, much sooner. <laughs> yeah, right. Really it's deep seated. It's deep seated yeah. in our hearts and right. The way we dream about things. I think you're right. I, and some of us are just, we're born leaders or we're born helpers or yeah. we're just so passionate about using our own story to push things forward. That's, that's really cool. So tell me this of all the things that you do, Obviously, being a mom is probably your favorite, but speaking as an author, doing a podcast, like what's your favorite? Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. (laughs) I love it all. Maybe my favorite is seeing the look on a woman's face when she realizes how much power she has. And Mm -hmm. and that's been possible through the client work I do and the book that I just published and the podcast and the speaking. There's just this light that goes on. And this almost this breath of fresh air just injected into her lungs going, wait, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah. I can do that? I'm that powerful? Yeah, you are. You really, really are. Right. Empowering women to just use their own strength. And, you know, even in hospitals and with medical professionals to be better advocates of ourself because we don't even know what we're capable of. So then we don't, we aren't able to exercise that capacity. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly Mm. it. And that's entirely the premise of Pregnancy Brain is to to show women that even when things are falling apart, this is still possible. You still have so much power in your body. Right. Incredible. Incredible. So let me ask you this question. I don't know if you know, you got an, you got a nice couple months on bed rest where you were literally probably questioning your identity. Yeah. If that was maybe kind of a rock bottom for you, or if there was a different time in all of your guys's losses, that was a rock bottom, whatever it was in that really low place where everything else was just gone for you, just gone. What was still there? What got you through? You mean other than cookies? Ooh, what kind? (laughs) Uh, dark chocolate, anything. Um, it was the people around me. At my rock bottom, I had nothing. It felt like I had nothing in in that I couldn't get myself to stand up. And I could not have even sat up, even opened my mm-hmm. eyes, had it not been for the people around me who just came closer and closer and closer and just held me up until I could. I could find even a little ounce of strength to hold myself up again. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it without, without them. It's there's, if there's one thing, it was just, it was that I, right. I could not Community. have done it, any of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You just, ha- you have to have people around you and we just, we take energy from each other and we do. I know. And then you and I get to use our story and fuel it all forward and be that yes. community. I yeah. know. I know. You guys, I really want you to go check out Pregnancy Brain and then the podcast Delivering Miracles. Like who in the world gets to talk to Parija Deshpande? I am so honored. Thank you. You're oh just a goodness. force. I, I've really <laughs> enjoyed I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. This has been wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Best wishes on that baby girl coming and all of your speaking engagements and, and your book now that it's going to annualize. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Take care. This podcast is sponsored by Emerge Mothers Academy, a Twin Cities nonprofit equipping single moms through social work, counseling, work preparation, and a microloan grant program. 
We believe all moms can emerge as confident women and caring moms. To get involved or support us, please visit EmergeTwinCities.org. The To Emerge podcast is brought to you by Emerge Mothers Academy. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a positive review. A special thanks to our media manager, Laurel Goulson, and to Jessica Manning for our music. 